With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sorry for the long enough. It's Bill Clinton's fault. (laughs) All right. I'll take that for face value. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you that's all you need to know. Fair enough. No, actually I think we need the whole story. (laughs) Uh Um, he's in Charlotte today doing his speaking tour thing. And um the the place where they did it is like right across the street from the restaurant my girlfriend's family owns. And I went there to get food and it took me a while to get out and they were they were busy, so it took a while for me to get my food. So I left later than I wanted to and then it took me a while to get out because of the traffic and so on and so forth. That was a lot less eventful than I thought it was gonna be. No, it's not great. Also, if you're in the Uptown Charlotte area, check out Hasaki Grill and Sushi. Great food. Casual environment. Well, I know what our cold open's going to be. <laughs> yeah. That's an, that's an ad. Hope you would do it, too. They're not. I mean, they give me free food all the time, so I guess... I guess it's, it's a fair trade-off. Yeah. Welcome to the Keep Sounding Podcast, your official Cat Scratch Reader Carolina Panthers podcast. I am joined here by John and Brad. Brad, how are you doing this evening? I am nervously excited, Brian. How are you? Nervously Is it because of the s- anxious about soccer? what you just said. Soccer. I'm, wa- I'm watching real football right now. <laughs> oh my God. I can't even get your undivided attention for 30 minutes. It's a Price. pretty big deal. Is it the the conference finals? Yeah, this is the conference finals. It's yeah, it's a pretty big deal. Trying to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, glad to hear it, guys. The Super Football. All right. Did New York Red Bulls just score? No, uh, well they did, but they took it away because they okay. fouled the keeper when they headed okay. it in. That's why when I pull up the score, it says zero zero, but there's a goal on there. Yeah, yeah, Jesus it was disallowed. Christ, guys. No, I think you're all right. Three three nil with seven minutes ago. I think you'll be okay. Well, I would normally say that, like if I rooted for literally any other sports town except for Atlanta, Georgia, I would <laughs> feel that way. That's true. Um, but you know, anything can happen, and and especially with Atlanta. Um, <laughs> but if if Atlanta would just score one goal, it's over. Like yeah, that's literally all they've got to do because then they have the tiebreaker. Yeah. This is your Keep Sounding podcast where we talk about soccer tiebreakers and playoff scenarios. 
Speaking of kicking, you know, the Panthers could probably look for somebody on in this game to take a certain person's job who isn't doing very good at kicking. He's yeah. got a point. We, if you want we to take there. <laughs> we, I, we, we did do that. We did bring in kickers to work out. We did. We did bring in kickers to work out. And uh, so far, none of them signed, which I'm sure none of, nobody is surprised about. I think it's more <laughs> so just to be like, hey, Graham, you're expendable, just so you know. Yeah, but I feel like it doesn't work that well because I think Graham knows we're not going to cut him. Yeah, Graham knows we're not going to cut him. It cost $8 million plus however much the new kicker costs. He knows it's bull. <laughs> it's just Ron like, Rivera's way of saying, hey, look, guys, I'm doing something. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, Ron Rivera doing things, um, <laughs> the Panthers didn't do a lot of good things on Sunday in a game they arguably should have won fairly decisively. Um, to start off with the offense, you know, they, they seem to be moving the ball quite well against Seattle, but they just, for some reason, I just I just can't quite, my, quite put my finger on it, but they just couldn't score touchdowns. John, you had a really I good put piece my finger on, on Tuesday about that. Yeah, why don't you uh, break it down <laughs> for those of us who, who didn't see the game? Um, The red zone play calling was bad. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Like, I don't... I don't think me saying the red zone calling play calling was bad was a shocking piece of news to anybody that read it. Um, did because it it wasn't just me, but live it seemed like everything we were doing was wrong, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely did. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, looking at stuff, not using the hindsight. I mean, not using hindsight, like looking at the information that was available to the coaching staff going in, and it was like we intentionally called the worst possible plays. Um, McCaffrey's average less than two yards a carry inside the 10-yard line, and he's taken, like, a quarter of them for touchdowns. Like, it's not a good rate at all. Cam's been incredible close to the end zone as a passer. Um, So it makes no sense to run the ball eight times in a row inside the 10-yard line. I think the one that made uh, me laugh the most was when Christian McCaffrey ran it up the middle and tried that Jonathan Stewart dive and fumbled the football. (laughs) Like that was just classic yeah. Ron Rivera football. Like you just run for it and put your hand over the over the goal line. You got this, Christian. We don't need John Stewart for this anymore. <laughs> and then you know who would have been top. great for that part? C.J. Anderson. Who's that? See, I don't... <laughs> yeah, C.J. Anderson. You you remember him, right? I feel like you're talking about Cameron Ars Payne. I'm not sure. You're, we're talking about underutilized <laughs> Panthers backs, right? Yeah, same guy. Cameron Artis Payne. Okay, got it. Yeah, he would have been good for that. <laughs> it's a shame he's um, not on the team anymore. Oh, wait, but he is. They just don't run him. Haha, sigh. Anyway, had, go he ahead, John. He's got, a, he's got like one carry each week in like the first drive of the game. See, we didn't even need CJ Anderson. Cameron Artis yeah. Payne's got this. <laughs> Cameron Artis Payne cannot play for way cheaper than CJ Anderson. You know, that is an economical point. If you're going to have a running back on the roster and not put him in the game, you might as well just have the cheap guy instead mm-hmm. of the expensive guy. So, But anyway, the even, just regardless of who, what running back we had, not a good idea. Um, also, and it's funny that the first pass we threw was to wide open receiver for a touchdown. Like, wow, it does work. You um, mean the first pass we threw in the red zone, right? Yeah, the first pass we threw close to the goal line in the red zone. Um, 
and the other thing a lot of people theorize that it was because Evan Funches wasn't playing and he's he's big so he must be the red zone guy and he's like our least least efficient red zone target like McCaffrey or not McCaffrey You know I I will admit I I thought it was because of Funches until you you pointed well, that out I still so you taught me something I still think it probably could have been because of Funches like that information I had I gave I'm sure 100% certain did not factor into the coaching staff's decision making because I am pretty certain they don't even know it. Well, I agree with you. There's no way they know. What boggles my like, mind is over the last two weeks, we've seen Christian McCaffrey put, or not Christian McCaffrey, excuse me, Curtis Samuel uh, absolutely destroy defensive backs in the red zone for touchdowns. Like he, <laughs> put, he put them on their, on their butts basically like with his routes one-on-one and their, their thought process is we need to run Christian McCaffrey more up the gut into 10 man boxes. So that's some great deductive reasoning skills in my opinion. Yeah. And then like to, to emphasize the numbers, Funch is coming into the game at 10 red zone targets and had caught two touchdowns. Uh, Torrey Smith, TJ Moore and Curtis Samuel had eight red zone targets between them and caught all of them for six touchdowns. Like being big doesn't make you better close to the end zone. I don't know why that is supposed to be a thing anyway. Like if you can get open, I think you can it's get just a, it's a misconception because there's a short amount of horizontal space, but there's still infinite vertical space. So you want the taller guy because you think that gives you an advantage because you know, hey, he's tall, he can just jump up and catch it. I guess, like yeah, like there's less, there's less. Like there's only so much room yeah. that just using him as an example, Curtis Samuel. There's only so much room he can run mm-hmm. and get behind someone because if he goes too far, he's out of bounds. So, but Cam can throw it high, and a guy like Devin Funches can just jump up and get it. The problem, I mean, is- I think that's the logic they're using. But the problem is, is like you said, it doesn't really work. Well, the problem yeah. is they're not, I mean, I- they're not De- DeAndre Hopkins or AJ Green either, where they know how to where Funches knows how to use that. To his advantage. Yeah. So that's a bigger deal when it's like DeAndre Hopkins who catches literally everything that's within fifteen feet of him and no matter who's in the way. Um the other thing that I saw, and I'm not gonna I can't I don't have it in front of me, but um not only were we running was and is that a problem, but we always run out of jumbo sets. And jumbo sets are the least efficient run formations in all of the sport of football. Not just for us, but for everybody. And I'm not surprised by that at all. You know, I do get the idea behind like running the two yard jumbo set thing, but I only get it when you're running with a guy who can actually power through some tackles like uh, Arma or CJ Anderson or I don't get it. I don't get it at all because what good does adding fat people to the outside of your line do to help you run at the back of Ryan Khalil? True. You need girth, John. You need weight. Like it doesn't it doesn't affect the play. They don't add any benefit to the play, but what they do is allow the defense to put more defenders in the way. Um. So I don't. I've never understood it, and it was nice to see that uh, the numbers bear that out. That um, I think it was like two wide receivers, and I can't remember what it was, but it was two wide receivers and either two tight ends or two backs. That was the most effective run formation in short yardage, and jumbo sets were by far the least effective. Right. So, yeah, so we just did everything wrong in the red zone, and that's how we had seven red zone trips turned into 27 points. 
which ended up leading to Graham Gano having to kick what would have been the go-ahead score, not that the Panthers' defense would have stopped them, but and he missed yeah, it. Yeah, that's one miss. That's one thing that people don't seem to think about. You know, if Gano makes that field goal, we still lose because there's no way we stop them from scoring. Yep. The only thing we had going for us was that it would have been hard for them to score a touchdown in that limited amount of time. Um, so we might have gone Well, I would have thought that too, except for the fact that Russell Wilson got 50 of the yards they needed on one play. That's true. Um, yeah, let me see. There was a minute and 40 left, so you know, never mind. They could have easily scored a touchdown. Because Russell Wilson in, in late game situations just decides to throw the ball as far as he can, and somehow his receivers always get it. Yeah, it's weird how that works. Like, he's bound to throw an interception on that at some point. Like, the oh, numbers. No, the, co- the comeback begins. New York Bulls scored. Yeah, there's like 30 seconds left in the game. Uh, it's, not, it's a lot of time. Yeah, there, it really is. I'm I'm not comfortable <laughs> at all. <laughs> it's already a minute past the allotted stoppage time. But you never know. So, speaking of the Panthers' <laughs> defense and how they couldn't stop them from scoring... Man, this defense has been bad about bouncing back. Oh, and, real bad. Well, the the worst part about it is, like, we've mentioned it before on this podcast, but the Panthers are a very momentum-based team altogether. Like, they 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 can blow a team out the door. Like, any team in the NFL, arguably, they can blow them out just because of, like, riding a wave of momentum. But this defense is just every time the Panthers seem to score – the other team comes right around, and just takes those points right back from them. Usually, like a minute or two, maybe three minutes later. It's like it's not sustainable, obviously. And we we've we've been talking a lot of crap about the defense in general, but that to me is the biggest problem. Like for you to establish momentum and to like really get in a groove, for your defense to just give it up, damn near ninety percent of the time after your offense scores, it's hard to come back from. Like. Bad. Yeah, let the offense let the offense build. Like, hey, get a score and get you know three and out or you know five and out or whatever, and uh, even just a field goal let, for God's sake. Yeah, like, <laughs> just, you know, let let the team feel like it's it's winning, right? And not just trading punches. The the thing is, our pass defense is so bad. I know that's not a new thing, but it's been getting worse and worse. Like the Seahawks average eleven yards per pass against us, and Great job limiting the best run defense in the NFL to half their average, but it clearly doesn't matter if you can't stop the pass. Yep, and and that's that that's what I've talked about a lot. Like stopping the run's cool and all, but you have to stop the pass because no matter like if you're good at stopping the run, they're going to throw it. Like there's no situation where a team can avoid throwing the ball. They can avoid running it if their running is not working. And so if they're going to throw and you have to be able to stop them when they do. And we can't do and it. And we got into a discussion about this in the in the Slack chat earlier, but the Panthers defense is predicated on an older style mentality where you're trying to put the offense in a position to make a mistake on their own. And mm-hmm. in today's NFL, it just seems like every team could like throw the ball damn near every play of a drive and still score. And yep. So this whole idea of and on top of that, the 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 way this defense is predicated is okay. Stop the run, put your defensive backs in position to make a tackle so it's a short a short gain, maybe three yards, four yards, five yards, something like that. You, you eliminate the big plays, you essentially make the offense throw enough balls that they make a mistake at some point, 
where it ends up being an interception or a sack or an incompletion on a crucial second or third and long. And in the NFL these days, that is just not working. And that's that's a problem because that's the entire mindset this defense goes with, where now they're they're trying to play Bemba don't break, but these offenses are very willing to take those plays. And the the defense isn't tackling on those positions where they're third and short, where they can get a guy a yard or two behind the, behind the line to get the first down. They're just missing the tackles. Even Luke Keekley, like, not good. I think, and I, I don't have the number. I'm not going to go back and verify it right now because I don't have the time. But I think the, the newfound aggressiveness in the NFL about going forward on fourth down is also hurting our defense because we're very predicated on like, we're going to get it to third and third and 10, and then we're going to let you pick up seven and then get off the field. But now when we let you pick up seven, the other team's like, okay, cool. Fourth and short, we're going for it. Yeah. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if we're like, that's hurting us too. Also, like I said, in our Slack chat, the turnover rate, it's not completely linear, but it's, in general, the turnover, like the amount of drives that end in turnovers, has been dropping year like a lot year after year. And yeah, teams just aren't going to mess up if you just sit there and wait for them to mess up because that seems to be what we do. It's like we're going to make you take as many plays as possible to get to the end zone because we we figure you're going to mess up at some point. And when teams don't mess up, like they haven't last three weeks when we forced their turnovers, we're kind of out of luck. And the thing that pisses me off, too, is like they have probably the most athletic secondary they've had in a damn long time. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. you know, 2015 secondary was pretty good, but they had like Benny Ben Wickery and Charles Tillman as their second corners and Kurt Coleman, who played out of his mind and Roman Harper, who was 67 or something years old. And now they have Dante Jackson, James Bradbury, who are like not even in their primes yet. They have Eric Reed. Michael Adams is playing way better than. 67 year old Roman Ar- Roman Harper played to his age. So it's just strange to me that they continue to play this Bemba don't break crap when they have the, the athleticism to go up there and challenge throws and force the offense to make a mistake rather than hoping they make one. To be fair, I don't think it would have made much of a difference, but Dante Jackson got hurt in the first quarter. Oh yeah, that that and made it. We we had to play we had to play three quarters against Russell Wilson with Corn Elder and Captain Munnerlin. So, you know, granted, they're both the same height as Russell Wilson, but it doesn't. Russell Wilson wins that battle every single time. Real quick little backtrack. I like when numbers agree with what I thought. Uh, we are, we've had the fourth most. Nerd. Fourth. Sorry, go ahead. We've had the fourth most <laughs> fourth down attempts against us. Teams have gone for it on fourth down against us 15 times. Only the Chiefs and Saints and Bears, who are winning lots of games, have had teams go for it on fourth down against them more. And we've allowed. Yeah, I, I would imagine that those three teams, especially the Saints and the Chiefs, you have to go for it on fourth yeah. down because you have to score 21 points. Yeah, and then we're we've given up conversions on nine of those, so 60 percent, which is 20th. That's bad. Yeah, it's 20th. So yeah, there's. I think there is a bit of letting teams pick up almost enough yardage on third down. Where and now they're going for it and picking up the fourth downs when they used to just punt on fourth and two from the 50. Like they're not giving us that anymore. And that's a very good thing you just brought up. And I'd like to elaborate on that a little bit before we get into the next game. Um, 
it, the NFL is sort of turning into more of a four down drive or a four down situation more often than not mm-hmm. because of how effective offenses are. And you'd think that a younger guy like Eric Washington would be like ready for that. But he's not. He's kind of like a younger Ron Rivera with the same stubborn mindset in his head. So I, I'm curious to see like how the defensive coordinators are going to adapt to uh, that kind of mindset because most offenses in the league now can very confidently take a chance on fourth and three or fourth and two and pick it up. Yeah, there's not like a, we're only going for it on fourth and inches on the other side of the, on the opponent side of the field like. Teams are going for them on like fourth and four and stuff if if the situation's right. We gotta adjust, and that's one thing we're not good at doing. Nope. Panthers haven't been good at adjusting in a long fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Um And then this coming game is like all of the stuff it's it's wild because all the stuff we're bad at is what the Buccaneers are good at. At least for us defensively. Buccaneers are bad at everything defensively, so we don't have to worry about that. But like, they can't run, and we stop the run real well. So that they're probably just gonna like that's not gonna be an issue. But we can't stop the pass, and they are leading the NFL in passing yardage. Yeah, the only- yeah, this game's gonna end like forty-eight to forty-five because neither team's gonna be able to stop the other one. Mm-hmm. The only saving grace for this defense is James Bradbury is very experienced against Mike Evans, and the last time they faced off. Evans had 10 targets and he only caught one of them. Correct. So hopefully they deploy the same kind of defensive. It's weird that this, that they're more prepared for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who have a much more explosive offense than a team like Seattle. Kind of strange, but you know, I'm not a defensive coordinator. So what do I, what do I know? I'm just a nerd here on my ringer podcast talking about the Panthers. Nerd. Nerd. Um, <laughs> The um, and I said it in the defensive preview um, because this this entire podcast is just me plugging the stuff I've written. Um, the really the only way we're gonna make stops consistently is actually making defensive plays like interceptions and sacks because Jameis Winston will let a lot of those happen. Um, he's one of the few quarterbacks I feel like in the NFL, other than the rookies, that will actually just make unforced mistakes. So we need it. Yeah, if there's ever a game where the defense can rebound and like get back on track, it's this one. Considering the no other matter thing what... about the defense, the other thing about the defense besides them not you know being good is they're just so boring because they don't do anything. Like we just they just give up eight yards here, five yards there. Next thing you know, it's a touchdown. Like there's no sacks, there's no interceptions, there's no deflected passes. It's just a gradual. They just gradually lose. There's no aggression. Yeah, there's no like vicious mindset with it. Like, I understand the NFL is like trying to to essentially dumb down those kind of plays where like the defense knocks a guy out or hits a quarterback pretty hard. But man, like just drive on the ball, like hit a guy in the in the chest every once in a while, like set the tone. They just don't seem to do that anymore. No. But you want to hear a wild stat about Jameis Winston? Sure. I love those. (laughs) <laughs> he's got a lot of them. He's played 46% of the team's offensive snaps, which is, you know, not a lot. And he's tied for fourth in the NFL in interceptions. Yep, the Buccaneers like to turn the ball over. 
Do you know who's that's one their staple? Of, yes, right they do. You know who's one of the three people in front of them? Ryan Fitzpatrick. Let me guess. Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick, who's played fifty-four percent of his team snaps and thrown twelve interceptions. Only Sam Darnold's thrown more. That's that's wild. Like they're they're fifty-fifty, and both of them are almost top of the NFL in interceptions thrown, despite playing half of the team's games, basically. This game is the Ron Rivera fever dream because this is the game where the unforced errors happen and where he, he mm-hmm. gets to set so, his cap down and say, you know what? My defense works. We can <laughs> we can set the over under on interceptions thrown by Fitzpatrick slash Jameis at one point five. I'll take the over just because Jameis is so bad against us. Hell, I would You know, I would normally do that, but I'm I know this is negative, but he's due at some point for one of those completely unexplainable, what the hell was that that I just watched, you know, 25 for 27 for 350 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions games against us. Because like you said, he's been so bad and it it wouldn't surprise me to – to see him either come out and look like Tom Brady or for him to come out and look like Nathan Peterman. Like, I wouldn't be surprised by either one of those results. Fun fact, the Patriots worked out, uh, or, uh, the Broncos worked out Nathan Peterman today. thought that was funny. Another one? No, they did not. Yep. The Broncos did. <laughs> yep. I guess Tom Savage was too busy. Yep. <laughs> I, um, I need to find it, but uh, somebody was... I heard somebody talk about the John Gruden talking about why Nathan Peterman was going to be a good NFL quarterback. And it's like, we make fun of all the time. None of it had anything to do with actual like tangible football skills. He's a Gruden grinder. Oh, really? He's a Gruden grinder. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, it was just like, uh, he knows how to command a huddle. He's got experience in a pro style offense. Um, all this stuff like that. And it's like, what about like, is he good at throwing the ball? Can he throw a football like, no, no. 15 yards accurately to a receiver? Well, no, but he can certainly command that huddle. They'll get the call out <laughs> there on time. There will not be a delay of game penalty, let me tell you. This guy right here. Here you go. I got, I, uh, I got a quote for you. Peterman is ready to walk in and be a contributor from day one. He just looks like a pro quarterback coming out of the huddle, <laughs> running an offense with different formations, shifting, motioning, different patterns that other colleges don't run. Peterman will recognize route combinations and associate formations. I'm going to take this one out of the John the John quotes from last year, but so he's a tall white guy who can kind of throw, is what you're telling me. Yes. <laughs> yes. He's yeah, a shorter version of, of Brock Osweiler. Let's see. Uh, most importantly, he'll be able to get in a huddle from day one and look at ten grown men and tell them where to go and what to do and handle a versatile snap count. Oh, man. Nothing more oh, important he, than that from your quarterback. He did that all right. I'm trying to find is uh deep thick playbook he can handle those is there anything about the actual like throwing the ball part no there's not nothing nothing it's all about him being able to like he's smart cool there's a lot of smart players Ryan Fitzpatrick's smart and he's an interception machine <laughs> got to take chances man calculated <laughs> risks as they call it Ryan calculated risks he's out if thinking you ever, if you watched football and didn't know all the stuff about him going to Harvard and all that stuff. There's no way. It's like, who's which of these quarterbacks is the smartest in the NFL? Ryan Fitzpatrick would be at the bottom of your list. Like, 
with between the appearance and the way he plays football and the way he just like bashes his head against the defenders. It's like, yeah, that guy's not very bright. <laughs> what we were talking about before this, we were talking about Tampa Bay and their interceptions. Well, uh, but, uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About- oh, I said, I said, Jameis could either be Tom Brady or Nathan Peterman on Sunday. And I won't be surprised either way. Yeah, that's true. Well, well, he, against San Francisco last week, he completed 29 of 38 passes for 312 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He had a good game. Oh, so he's he's had the Tom Brady game. So, yeah, he's going to be yeah. Nathan Peterman. <laughs> Before that game, he threw two, 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 four, one interceptions in his first five starts this year. So, uh, yeah. Quite an uber, I think an it's uber effort by him. <laughs> okay. Oh. That's, 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 that's appropriate. <laughs> um. So let's 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 examine the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I guess we'll call it a defense. I feel yeah, like they're worse really... than the Panthers, despite the stats. Oh, they're bad. Yeah, they're they're not good. Like, well, you say despite the stats, I think the stats also say they're worse than the Panthers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not by much because the Panthers are so bad, but they are objectively and subjectively worse. Yep. Um, let's let's give it a look statistically there. Oh man, they're climbing the ranks. They're twenty seventh in yards allowed now. Oh man, they were they were at the bottom for a while. We'll definitely bump them up to like twenty four or something like that on Sunday. Thirty <laughs> first scoring defense. So yeah, not good. And that's also partly because their offense just turns the ball over like it's nobody's business and makes it uh easy to score points on them. So the Panthers offense looking at about looking at the uh, Panthers offense versus the Bucks defense. Can we get Curtis Samuel on the fucking field a little more often? Jesus Christ. Like he's he, on the field. It's just that they're not throwing it his way or giving it to him like he's he's seeing more snaps. He's just not getting more plays. Why would we give him more plays? So he's bad. Yeah, I mean, Ron's doing what you asked. He's put him on the field. That man is the best route runner the Panthers have a wide receiver right now. Don't at me. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. like he—he's—he's he's like every week for the last like four weeks, I've seen him like destroy a defensive back on a route. Like DJ Moore's good, and he's a you know he's a rookie, and I'm sure he's got plenty of room to grow. I'm sure at some point in the next like two to three years, we could see more being better. But I don't think there's a better route runner on the Panthers right now than Curtis Samuel, to be honest. Like, aside from maybe Greg Olson, he's just, you know, old and has a broken, a limp foot, but I just, like, he he knows how to manipulate the, the cornerbacks he's against to push them a certain way and then break another way where he can use his speed, and he just catches easy passes. Like, I don't understand what's so hard about that for Ron Rivera and Norv Turner, like he's the guy that is more likely to get open than arguably anybody else on this offense, aside from maybe Greg Olson. Why are we not throwing him the ball Christian more? McCaffrey. Well, yeah, Christian McCaffrey, but he's going to stay in the back for the whole game. That's a foregone conclusion. So, yeah, why would we ever line him up out yeah. wide? Um, yeah, Curtis Samuel played ninety-two percent of the snaps on Sunday. And he only was throwing the so ball on three the times. What the fuck? Correct. Like I said, he's on the field. They're just not throwing it to him. Ron gave you what you asked for. God damn you, Ron. You say 
You just said put him on the field. You didn't say anything about targeting. Well, I'm him more. saying throw him the ball more, Ron. Throw him the more the ball a little fucking more, and throw it to more as well. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I like DJ Moore's increased involvement, though. That is good. He's a vicious little guy, man. Runs people <laughs> over. He like, is. I like. As sad as watching Carolina Panthers football has been over the last three weeks, I think the thing I've enjoyed the most is watching DJ Moore with the ball in his hands. Because, man, mm-hmm. he's a monster. He reminds me of Steve Smith a little he's bit. He's really, uh, he does. He does, like, the, um, he had a play, I think it was this last game. Um, it wasn't anything spectacular. It was, like, a 10 or 15-yard gain. But it was a very Steve Smith-esque play where he ran, like, a slant, and he caught it and stopped and turned back around and ran the other way. And that was a play that Steve Smith, I feel like I remember seeing him do all the time, especially when he started getting a little older. Yep. Another one for me was, uh, I think it was uh, two games ago when it was like second and long and he caught the ball like eight. He probably caught the ball like seven or eight yards past the line of scrimmage. He needed to pick up two and he just ran the motherfucker over like like a running back that that I enjoyed so much. Yeah, he had one. He had one where he like ran out to the sideline and then got to the sideline, just ran straight forward and straight through like four people for another like five yards right along the edge of the field. Yep. Got, I like last, the one where he scored the touchdown. That's also that's good. a good one too. Yeah. I like the one where he was too slow to score a touchdown. Hey. Yeah, that one was good too. He said he was he slowed up because he thought he was he thought he had beat everybody. It was a rookie mistake. Yeah, they're fast players in the NFL, DJ. Yep. Just like with Christian McCaffrey on his long run. And then every time it's like, yeah, Darius Slayer ran a 4 3 2 40. It's like, oh, of course. And then the next game we break a big play. It's like, yeah, uh, Shaquille Griffin ran a 4 3 6 40. It's like, why does every defense have these incredibly fast players to run us down on these plays? And why are they so, why do they have so much effort? I don't, I don't yeah. remember defensive backs being known for running down running backs who were running that far down the field all the time in the yeah. NFL. Uh I know it's frustrating. Just let us let us enjoy those, because when they don't, Gramkina misses the field goal. Yep, and that's that's the game plan right there. The the defense's game plan is to make Gramkina kick that field goal. What was the end of the drive? What was the final result of the drive where DJ Moore's had that long, or uh, Christian McCaffrey had the long catch and run, or run? Oh, give me a second. I think we scored a touchdown. No, no, that was. If I remember right, that's the one where we went for it on fourth down and didn't get it, Hold and we on. were screwed over by the spot. Well, I know, I know up. that, I know that um, McCaffrey came right back and ran 15 yards on the next mm-hmm. play. So yeah. I feel like they did score, but I'm going to pull it up real quick. But anyway, go ahead, guys. Well, while you're doing that, the last two games, DJ Moore has 15 catches for uh, 248 yards. I like oh, that's pretty good. That is pretty good. As they say, it's pretty good. So we yep. did say pretty good. So they did score a touchdown, just so you guys know. Um it was a throw it was a pass from Cam to Christian McCaffrey. And then Seattle, Seattle, scored a touchdown. Seattle came right back and scored another touchdown <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> that was on that was on fourth down, wasn't it? The Christian McCaffrey pass? Uh, or was it third? I believe it was third down. They did convert a fourth down, though. Um, well, I just remember because it was it was another one of those. It's just like, please just throw the ball. 
Like do something uh, it different. Third, it was third and goal. Okay, because we ran it and then we tried the play action to Greg Olson. Um, that I'm shocked the Seahawks saw coming since we run it is the only pass play we run around the goal line. It seemed and uh, and then yeah, finally we did something different and it worked. Amazing what happens when you do that. <laughs> yeah, it would have been wild if uh if we missed another field goal after a long play like that. Like that would just be a a thing we do. It's like anytime we gain more than 75 yards on a play, we uh we have a, the drive ends in a missed field goal. Yeah, and then that play just ends up being null and void. Yeah, and nobody <laughs> just com- completely wasted. Yep. But on the bright side, Christian McCaffrey is basically all but guaranteed to break the Panthers' all-time uh, in uh, all scrimmage yards in a season. So that's good. His um, his I saw a thing and I'm trying to pull it up. He, he had like the ninth best PPR um fantasy day since oh, like I'm 2010. Aware. I'm aware. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I'm just kidding. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that's 100 yards receiving and 100 yards rushing and a, a touchdown in each. That's a, it's a pretty big game. It's a big game from yeah. He's a pretty good player. Yeah. It's a shame that they're going to waste him away for the next, probably this year and next year before they actually get good. And then he'll probably tear his ACL year four. Okay, why why you got to say that? Well, that got dark. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to find it, but the other people that have had it's it's a wild list of people that are that have had at least his scoring output in a um in a weekend in PPR, it was like Andre Johnson, Doug Martin, um, when he was good, uh, Le'Veon Bell, like all these guys like this. And then just randomly there's Javid best. I remember Javid best. He did have that like little stretch where he was like amazing in fantasy football. Yeah, and then he got, yeah, it was like two weeks. Was I'm not sure, but I do remember him being good. It was one of those things where it was like, Every year for like three years, it's like, oh, this is going to be the year where Javed Best is going to really break out. And then it's just like, eh, no, he's just going to get a concussion. Is, and... is he basically the old school Theo Riddick? Um, I mean, he ran the ball, but he caught a lot. Of, yeah, he caught a lot of passes. I'm trying to find where that game would have been. This is a total sidetrack of, of what we were actually talking about. Well, that's what we do here. <laughs> yep. Okay, I found the game he had in his second career game. He had 17 carries for 78 yards and two touchdowns, and also nine catches for 154 yards and a touchdown. Jesus Christ. That's pretty so, good. So yeah, everybody's like, ooh, this guy is the truth. Who is the opponent? The Eagles. <laughs> oh. uh, and they had Michael Vick. Mike Vick. I totally thought you were going to say the Panthers. <laughs> No, not the Panthers. Did he? I don't even know if we ever played him. They didn't nah, play I think him. He's really hurt. Yep, we Javed. We have never played Javed best. Oh, little fun fact that you guys can take to trivia night with you. <laughs> take that to the bank and deposit it. <laughs> You'll never <laughs> would believe what I learned on that on this podcast. To listen to. Oh, what's that? <laughs> the Panthers never played against Javed best. 
Who's Javid Best? The best running back Panthers ever played against. (laughs) Yeah, there's like two good games in 2010 and 2011. So, want to get into uh, scoring projections? Yes. Yes? Yeah. Brad, you go first. Yes. Uh, I think Carolina is bad. I think I've made that opinion known. But I also think that Tampa is bad. And I think Tampa is worse. So I think Carolina is probably going to win. I think it's going to be something, let's just say, 35 to 31 Panthers. That's very close to what I was going to say. John, what were you going to say? I was, I was going to, I was going to give Graham the, I'll let him make a field goal that Brad is probably assuming he would miss, um, and say 38, yeah. 31. Yeah, pretty much. So I'm going to go against my usual grain, which means we're definitely going to lose. Um, <laughs> I think this is the game where Carolina comes back with a vengeance because we've seen flashes of what this team can be over the last two weeks where they had chances to absolutely dominate the other team and they just did not capitalize on those opportunities. I think Carolina will this week. I think they're going to win 45 to 21. And that's a lot of points. That's a lot of points, but I think that they can do it because this team is going to come in pissed off. And if there's any chance they're going to make any kind of run towards the playoffs, they need to go in there and blow the doors off the Buccaneers. And I think that's exactly what they're going to try and do. So I think we'll see an aggressive, very offensive mindset from Carolina. A lot of throws, a lot of plays to their playmakers like DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. And I think we're going to see a lot of points scored. So call that a win for Carolina. For yeah, me. The, the over-under, according to Odd Shark, is 54.5. Seems low. That it does. Yeah. Yeah, because that would make the... With a spread, that would make the score like twenty nine twenty six, which also yeah, I, seems I would low. take the over. No, no, no betting advice. Don't listen to us. The uh, ESPN's matchup predictor. Yeah, betting, has it gambling is illegal. Don't do it. Well, it's not really illegal anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> the uh, over or the um, ESPN's matchup predictor has it at like fifty fifty. That was surprising. That's fair. <laughs> Yeah, I agreed. I'm um one other thing before we before we wrap it up. Uh Christian McCaffrey is very close to a thousand yards rushing. Not like very, very close, but he's on pace to comfortably surpass it. And um he's in one more big receiving yardage game from making a thousand yard receiving season in play as well. Damn. It's like when was the last time somebody did that? I imagine it was probably like the last time or something. I would imagine it was somebody like Falk, yeah, or Ladanian Tomlinson. Marshall Falk did it like three times. Marshall Falk was actually good. Yes, he was very good. We're doing a thousand right here. We'll see. Yeah, the threshold is a thousand each. Rushing yards greater than a thousand. Pro Football Reference's play index is the best thing ever. Receiving yards greater than 1,000. We'll do post-merger. I don't think anybody had a 
I think like Walter Payton or somebody did it, or like Gail Sayers or somebody did it too. It's not working. Pull up so, the old Google real quick. Well, if it's not working, that means we get to make up our own statistic. And hey, guess what? It was D'Angelo <laughs> Williams. <laughs> I really like, in all honesty, I think it was Marshall Falk's done it a couple times. I think Gail Sayers has done it. Um, I would think Ladanian yeah. Tomlinson did it at least once. Nope. No, nope. only only Marshall Falk and Roger Craig. Yep, there's only been two. Roger Craig. Yep, I was just reading it. an article from 2016. David Johnson was who they were hyping about up about potentially being the third. Yeah. So, wow, yeah, that's it, impressive. It actually, is super impressive despite the fact that it's going to be irrelevant on a team that's going to go like seven and nine. But you know. Well, he's got to have. He's only at 608 yards receiving right now, so he's going to have to have like another 100 yard, 120 yard receiving game to even get into the uh, make that a possibility. Like he's he's trending towards. You have to um, remember, we played the Saints and 880. The Saints are going to go up by like 35 points on us both times, so he'll get he'll get his chance. Hey, don't worry. Hey, it's they're losing to the Cowboys 13 to three, and it's there's only five minutes left Wait, in the third what? quarter. There's yeah, the Cowboys left. are beating the Saints right now. Oh my God, <laughs> are you serious? Wow. Yeah, this is. I incredible. mean, this might sound real bad in in hindsight, like whenever this is actually out. But as of this moment during the recording, there's four and a half minutes left in the third quarter, and the Cowboys are up thirteen to three. And Breeze has thrown sixty nine yards. Wow. Nice. Nice. <laughs> nice. Now, I mean, you know, by the time you listen to this podcast, New Orleans will probably win thirty one to thirteen, but. So McCaffrey is on pace for 1,100 yards and r- rushing 880 yards receiving. Um, That's still pretty good. Yeah, Marshall Falk has done that twice. David Johnson has done that once. Le'Veon Bell has done. Uh, I made it. I made it 1,100 and 800. And uh, Marshall Falk has done that three times. David Johnson's done it. Le'Veon Bell's done it. And Stephen Jackson has done it. So it's still impressive. Yes, and Marshall Falk did it for two different teams. Mm-hmm. Which is of even course. more impressive. Yes, Marshall Falk was very. <laughs> can't good. wait to see Marshall Falk was. Can't wait to see Christian McCaffrey get sandbagged like Le'Veon Bell. It's gonna be great. Didn't, I feel like I heard at least one person compare Christian McCaffrey to like a Marshall Falk player. A Marshall Falk player. Marshall Falk's a type player. Five okay. and he's five ten, two hundred and ten pounds. So it's a pretty similar size too. Hmm. Yeah, there's only one major difference. I, I don't know what it is. Hand size? Marshall Falk's a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah, that's I not see. true. I see. Well, hopefully Christian McCaffrey will join Cam Newton in the Hall of Fame at some point in his career. And Steve, <laughs> and Steve Smith, Smith and Jordan Gross and Brenton Burson. So. Okay, that's so cool. <laughs> We're getting a little carried away here. There's no way Jordan Gross. <laughs> That's gets true. In. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to overextend. Yeah, Panther, great, not a Hall of Famer. Right. Those are the names, though, definitely. Speaking of Panthers who are up for Hall of Fame induction, like real talk, serious, Sam Mills is eligible, uh, and he's a semifinalist. Oh, nice. Fucking hope he gets it. Jesus. He deserves it. He probably won't because the NFL is weird about how they let people in and don't let people in. Um, but if anybody deserves it for on the field and off the field impact, it's Sam Mills. So 
if they put it up to a public vote, which I don't think they do, but if they do some kind of Twitter vote thing, even if it's just for charity, make sure you vote. Do you think uh, he'd go in as a Panther, though? No, he would probably go in as a but I guarantee yeah, he played they, three. I guarantee that whatever his uh, montage is would have to do with the Panthers, for sure. There's no way it wouldn't. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if the NFL does like Major League Baseball does with their Hall of Fame, where you can have multiple teams on your plaque. Like yeah, in, I have baseball, no idea. in baseball, if you if you were a Hall of Famer and you would have been a Hall of Famer for both teams, no matter what, they either will leave the, the logo blank or put like both on there. You know, I don't know if the NFL does that or not. I imagine they do. I've never been there. I don't know how they even do their plaques. Maybe it doesn't even matter. Maybe they're just like, uh, you're, you're no team. Well, I know it's a it's a Hall of Fame bust. Like, it's a, a, a likeness of his head, so maybe it doesn't matter. Yeah. Hall of Famer bust. I'm fine with him going in as a saint as long as he goes in. Yep, he does. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. He played there for well, nine years, and he played for Carolina for three. So. Well, do we have any other points we want to address here? Nope. Atlanta United won. They're Eastern Conference champions. They're going to play for the MLS Cup on Saturday. Going to the Super Bowl. Going to the Super Bowl of MLS. Super football. Yep. (laughs) Well, from all of us here at the Keep Sounding Podcast, this is Brian joined by Brad and John. We will be watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers-Panthers game on Sunday. Hopefully they escape this losing skid they've been on and we see some entertaining football at least so from all of us here it keeps sounding thanks for listening and we will catch you next week see you guys later keeps the football takes off to the end zone for the touchdown he takes the handoff and he scores I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.